Uh, in case you haven't been around for a few weeks or if you're new or visiting us here today, we're looking at um, a book written by Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, called Dethroning Mammon. Mammon meaning money or excessive materialism or greed. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verses 21, you cannot serve God and mammon. And in Justin Welby's book, he looks at the different ways that society and those who live in that society are drawn into the worship of mammon, the way we get hooked on a materialistic lifestyle and what we can do in order to break those bonds. The chapter we're looking at today is called What We Receive, We Treat as Our Own. And I'm going to be looking at three areas covered in the chapter. Firstly, the close relationship between money and power. And I guess we only have to look at the new president of the United States to see how relevant that is. Secondly, by reference to the Bible passage we've just had read, we look at how Jesus expects us to model power in our day-to-day -day lives. And thirdly, we're going to look at our own relationship to money and power. If we can move from a position of what we receive we treat as ours to accepting what we do receive, we do so by his grace, what impact could that have on what we do with our money. I don't know about you, but I was brought up to believe it was rather rude to talk about money. You simply didn't ask people how much they earned or how much something cost. My parents were very much typical of the post-war era when they had their family. My father was the breadwinner, and my mother um, received housekeeping money each week in a rather ceremonial handout. I remember as a teenage girl being appalled by this and vowing that it would never happen to me. Because of my upbringing, I don't find it particularly easy to talk about money in this kind of open environment. I do know that my personal relationship with money stems partly from this upbringing and partly from the different circumstances that life has thrown at me. I also know as Christians, we can't ignore the subject of money and simply brush it under the carpet. If you care to Google, what does the Bible say about money? You'll see that the scripture is full of references to it. Try it, it's really interesting. And I believe a worthwhile exercise as we attempt to dethrone mammon in our lives. Justin Welby, in this chapter of the book, talks about how power and money are closely related, how power flows to a large degree from money, and how money is easier to acquire once you have power. I guess this is quite obvious when we consider this from the viewpoint of an individual, but it's also interesting to look at from a society standpoint. And I think a good example of this in recent times um, is when you look at the growth of women's equality in the 20th century. Much of this was driven by the rise in the number of working women, enabling them to have their own income and thus a far greater independence, which ultimately shifted the power base between men and women to make it far more equal. 
a good thing in my view. Moving on to our second point, really the heart of this chapter. If money and power are so closely related, what can we learn from the Bible and especially from the passage we had today about how we as Christians are to use our power and money? This really is a quite extraordinary passage and each time I read it, I look at it from a different angle and learn something new. Here we have Jesus, the most powerful man who ever walked the earth. The man who could control the elements, who could heal the blind, the deaf, the lame, who could cast out demons, walk on water, feed the, fi feed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, and raise the dead. This man, the Son of God, knelt at the feet of his followers, the fishermen, and washed their feet. If you were here last week, you would have heard Mike explain how even the lowest of servants were not expected to wash the feet of their master as it was considered such a demeaning task. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's just imagine the scene. Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room for a Passover meal. It's the greatest feast in the Jewish calendar, and as a rabbi, Jesus was the center of their attention. He's their leader. He holds a position of great authority and power in the group. And many of them had indeed now come to the correct conclusion that he wasn't just any rabbi, but actually the promised Messiah. So what does he do? What amazing sermon does he preach this Passover? Well, he does something that no one expects or anticipates. He takes the whole notion of power and authority and turns it on its head, adopting the role of a servant. He removes his outer clothes, places a towel around his waist, and don't you just love the detail that John gives us here? And proceeds to wash the mucky, dirty, smelly feet of his disciples, including the one he knew was going to betray him. And this, says Justin Welby, is the radical reversal at the heart of Christianity. With this one simple act, he upset the order of the world and showed us that power is not what we think it is. It isn't money or title or how many people we have working for us, or how big our house or houses are, or what car or cars we drive, or where our kids go to school, or who designed our suit or handbag or shoes. Rather, true power lies in washing the feet of the world by taking up the role of a servant. I remember to this day my first boss at L'Oreal, who was really something of a mentor to me. He was the managing director of a sizable business. And in my first management meeting, it was he who got up from the boardroom table and served us all teas and coffees. And this was a, at a time when sexism was rife, so it really should one have been the young girls that did this. And I wonder now if he too had been touched by this passage as he certainly lived it out in a way that I can remember to this day 
and in a way that I hope I emulate in my managerial roles. Jesus goes on to say to them, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. His message is clear. Leadership is about love and service to others. And very shortly, their leadership in spreading the Christian message will start. And this is the lesson that he wants to take with them as they travel to the corners of the earth. So what does this mean for us today? What do you do with the power you have? Who benefits from your power? And who do you also have the power to serve? Perhaps the question we should ask ourselves first is are we willing to let go of the power and control we have over our own lives? Are we ready yet to put our trust wholly in God and not in ourselves? Confession time. Speaking as a control freak, I find this especially hard. I like to be in control. However, I have to admit that the times I've grown most in my faith have been those times when due to circumstance, I was very vulnerable and I simply had to put my trust in him to sort things out. Times when I had to humbly admit that I was not self-sufficient. I was reliant on him. If only I could always trust in him and not rely on myself so much, he would no doubt be able to work so much better in me. And I guess probably in you too. Finally, let's examine where we believe our money and our power come from. And if we can accept that they're God-given, can this help us to give them back to God in the way that he showed us how, in the service of others? Justin Welby's view is that how we handle power will hugely impact how we handle money. He tells us about a friend of his who gave up his life in politics and law to become a hermit and lead a religious community in France. His friend's view on possession and power is c'est tout grâce, which sounds so beautiful in French. It's all by grace. Everything we receive, our money, our gifts, our power, is all a gift from God. We are simply stewards of what we own and earn. I think that's pretty easy to say and pretty hard to really, really believe. If someone has worked hard, saved carefully, invested prudently, and as a result made money, then surely it's theirs to spend as they wish, isn't it? It goes against our very instincts to believe it's not ours and ours to use. Well, I guess it depends where we believe our skills, our gifts, our abilities come from. Justin Welby believes it's really only through the Holy Spirit that we can be changed to see that what we have firstly been given to us by God through those gifts he gave us, through the job he found us, and secondly, given in trust to us as a benefit to others. Does that mean we have to give, everything, give away everything we possess and take up the life of a hermit? 
Maybe for some, that is what it means, a radical Zacchaeus up a tree moment we heard about a couple of weeks ago. For others, it will be a more gradual change in attitude, a gradual letting go of controlling everything in our lives towards a more generous-spirited giving, a more sacrificial giving, a giving that we love to do in the service of others. And then, as we realize that in doing this, we are in fact blessed ourselves, either spiritually or in many cases materially, that in turn builds our trust and encourages us in our giving. This, says Justin Welby, is ultimately what dethrones mammon. The belief that what I receive from God, I treat as my opportunity to love others. This passage is not about what power and money you have. It's not saying that money and power in themselves are bad. It's about what you do with that money and power. As he puts it, do you put them to work in the service of God and use it to wash the feet of the world? Or do you put it in the service of mammon and use it to protect yourself from those whose feet smell bad? To conclude, in this passage from John 13, Jesus turns the world upside down in a simple, humble act of service from the most powerful of human beings. The washing of his disciples' feet, in fact, turns out to be the foretaste of the ultimate act of self-giving, the cross. Justin Welby says that Jesus has given us as Christians a superpower. There is nothing so ugly in this world that it can't be turned into something beautiful with God. We must go to those places no one wants to go. Love those no one wants to love. In short, we must wash the feet of the world. The fact that we want to acquire and use our wealth as security is quite normal, but it does risk taking us further away from a position of service. Basically, the more we have, the harder it is to wash feet. So I leave you with these questions. Is God maybe calling you to a radical act of service and sacrifice? If not, and for most of us this will be the case, at least today, what simple everyday habit of foot washing might God be calling you to do?